This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. In this episode, we have Anya Obermiller, Head of Product Marketing, Rintastic. Anya, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That's great. Thank you for coming. Okay, so imagine you're a writer and book publishing is what you do for a living. And so you've just published a new book and people do buy your masterpiece. But it turns out that they only flip a few pages, perhaps a chapter, to never open the book again. This is really close to what's happening with mobile apps today. It's actually even more complicated because different apps serve different purposes. And so it's not easy to define what level of retention should you expect from your app. But what you do know for sure that something is definitely not good when your app retention reports tell you that only a fraction, about 30% to be precise, according to 2019 report by AppSlyer, of your app users continue to use their app for more than one day. And so we have today Anya to share with us the firsthand experience of increasing the app's retention. But as always on this show, let's talk about you, you Anya, first. Uh, tell us about yourself. How did you get involved into app marketing? What is your story? Cool. Yeah, I'm more than happy to do so. So I'm Anya. I was born and raised in Austria. Nonetheless, I'm totally into like northern countries. I lived in Sweden for a while and I still really much like to travel there. I'm 27 years old and probably fun fact about it, which wasn't that funny at that time, is I turned 27 during the lockdown. So yeah, no birthday party for me this year. In general, like I'm a total sneakerhead. So that's also really cool for me to be working with Adidas because I really like sneakers overall. And one thing that probably all of my colleagues would sign is I'm way better with numbers than with text. So I'm a total fan of like impact estimations, forecast, everything that is related to numbers. I'm not so much into like writing texts and so on. Well, that's good stuff. But, yeah. And you were also asking like how I actually got into mobile marketing and, and app marketing. And for me, that was always something that pretty interesting for me, I have to say. But I started out in a B2B software as a service company before I joined Rantastic. Yeah, it was always kind of like... You know, I was more into the B2C part. Usually this was always more tangible for me and what I had more interest in. So in 2016, I just took the chance and was like, well, I'm going to apply Drontastic and see what happens. And well, what happened is that I'm with Drontastic now for almost four years. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm really compelling to say that's Drontastic instead of that's fantastic. (laughs) Okay, so that's quite a story. So you're the person who is really comfortable in the world of numbers, but not words. Okay, so now let's just uh, talk briefly about what is Runtastic. Tell us about the app. Was there a story behind the app name? Yeah, there definitely was one. So we were founded in 2009 by Florian, Alfred, Christian, and Rini. And one of their girlfriends actually had the idea of the name. So this happened sometime around like 2008, 2009 or so when she had the idea. And this is how the company actually got its name. Since 2015, we are a proud member of the Adidas family. So we are fully part of Adidas. 
And probably some of the people who are listening in also recognize that our apps changed their names last year in September. So um, while our apps were called uh, Runtastic Running and Runtastic Results, in the past they're now called Running and Adidas Training. Uh, we have now over 309 million downloads worldwide. We are currently more than 270 people at Rantastic from, which is really cool, 38 different countries all around the globe. So super international team, which is really fun to work with. And one thing that I will mention now, and our HR department will probably love me for this, is we're constantly hiring and growing our team. So if anyone's interested, check out our career page. That's awesome. I can imagine what kind of diverse pot of cultures you guys have in your team. 38 countries, that's, that's impressive. Okay, so, you know, apprehension was a tough game even before COVID-19. And now for many app categories, it's a real struggle. So what kind of general strategy can you suggest app brands to adopt to stop their apprehension decline and perhaps to start climbing back again? That's a really good question, um, I have to say. And for me, the most important thing like before even getting started with retention rate optimization is identifying your product usage interval. I think this is something that some are just kind of like taking the data that they get, you know, like you would be getting from MMPs, like daily retention rates, probably even like weekly ones or monthly ones. And I think it's really important to do like this deep dive and figure out what's the natural product usage interval that you're having. For example, our apps are made for like really physical workouts and like training and activities. And we will never get to a product usage interval that Instagram has, for example, that you can just open up, you know, while you're watching TV or while you're chatting with someone or like really at any time. And this is just something that will never happen to our apps, for example. So I think this is a, a really, really crucial part before even getting started of thinking about the actual optimization. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. So anything else? Yeah, so what we learned as well over the past one and a half years is that it's really important to figure out where your retention problem really is and not just optimizing for what you want to have. Because if we're really honest with ourselves, we would all love to have like 100% month, I don't know what retention, you know, like if 100% of our users are with us after two years, everyone would be like, yes, that's great. But in the end, the retention problem usually lies somewhere way earlier at the stage than where you actually want to get. And for us, um, this was also something that, that we had to figure out. And I really do believe that it doesn't make much sense to optimize, for example, on month six, six retention, if you really have a struggle to retain your users for just two weeks or so, for example. So really find out, like dig into the data where the actual problem is and where it starts. Because if you then fix like first your week two retention problem, then you can move on to like month one, month two. And this is how it then keeps going. Right. So as you're saying this, it really brings to me two points. Number one, you really have to know people you're creating app for. Like where does your app fit into their lifestyle, into their daily routine? Like, you know, kind of obvious, simple example would be calculator and TripAdvisor calculator app you can pull up from your pocket on your phone like every day or so if you're you know really into numbers you have to you know crunch numbers on a daily basis because this is what you're doing for a living or i don't know you can be a student in a university and TripAdvisor, you're doing it if you're lucky two more two or more times a year if you can travel that much 
or you used to could travel that much before COVID-19 and now you're only dreaming about it. But anyway, this is a kind of a natural cycle for you know how often you're using your app based on what specific purpose it does for you, what specific uh, uh, purpose for your app in your life. By the way, so have you just like, you said that definitely fantastic people are not using when they're watching TV like Instagram, but uh, it more, it's more like a, on daily basis or probably uh, on weekends. Like, do you see any like a pattern? Like, because uh, it tells you like how often people do use the app, like how often they exercise actually. Yeah, definitely. So our product usage interval is defined as weekly. We do have some users who are also active, not just once per week, but probably like two, three times a week. But we don't really make it like on a like a broader user base to a daily usage. So of course, there will always be like some super active users, but um, they're rare. So yeah, that's um, definitely we're looking there into weekly um, retention rates. And on top of that, like a lot of people might think that, you know, on the weekend you have time, you can just like, go for a run or you can do a workout. And yeah. we had a look at our data. That's not the case. So um, oh, yeah. actually, um, our preferred work, the preferred workout day of our users is not on the weekend. It's actually during the week. So you have a really good sneak peek into people's life, you know, without uh, disturbing their privacy, but just knowing <laughs> firsthand from, you know, hard data, what's actually happening, not what they're saying, but what they're actually doing. Okay, so what do you think people get wrong about app retention? Perhaps you can share how your approach has evolved over time as you are getting more and more experience. More than happy to do so. I think one of the, the biggest mistakes is to put monetization over retention. Of course, like every company needs to make money and I'm not going to be saying like we should all just be living from engagement or so. Yeah. But I believe that engagement builds the foundation of monetization. And if you have a user base who knows the value of your product and what it gives to them and why it is important to them, it's way easier to upsell them than if you would just put have like upselling up right after registration straight to their face. This might just lead to a lot of users leaving right away and they're like, you just want to sell me something. And I really just wanted to try out if this is a workout app that I want to use. So this is something that we moved totally away from. And on the other hand, I also feel like it's not the best to just be bluntly following or relying on benchmarks instead of focusing on your own product. There might not be an equivalent to your product out there. There might be competitors, yes, for sure. But they have a different USP. They have a different value proposition because otherwise I'm pretty sure not both of the apps would be existing or at least um, existing and being successful at the same time. So I think benchmarks are nice to have an overview of like, you know, what's going on like in the health and fitness industry for us. But even if we look at those benchmarks, there are apps like nutrition trackers in there or period trackers or stuff like that. And they have a different product usage interval than we do. A nutrition tracker doesn't make sense if you track your calories just once per week. You need to use it like every day that you really have like the insights that you want to get from it. And that way we can't really compare our retention rates to their retention rates, for example. So I really believe that this is important. One thing that we also learned on our journey is just saying, like, you know, we need to drive retention rates and we need to improve them doesn't really help you a lot because it won't be tangible for the teams to really be working with that statement. 
Retention rate is something that is not so easily tangible. And the first reactions might be, you know, we could be sending a push here and we could be sending a push there. But in the end, we don't want our users to come back just because we're sending them a push notification. We want to create a behavior where they want to come back to our app anyways because they got hooked. And this is something that we learned over the past year. And what we were doing, and this is also what I was speaking about at a promotion summit in April, is that we found what we're calling a proxy metric. And we know that the proxy metric correlates with the retention rate that we want to optimize. So in our case, that was week one retention, for example. And we knew that the correlating proxy metric is install to activity rate. And by telling teams, you know, guys, we need to improve install to activity rate by X percent, the ideas will just start to spark. And there will be so many great ideas coming out of the teams and, oh, we could tackle this feature and we could implement a suggestion for our users there and we could do this. And this is how it then all started and how we also managed to grow our week one retention that much because everyone really knew like with this proxy metric what they need to work on and we could rest assured because we knew that we will ultimately be driving our week one retention anyways. I really want to say thank you for bringing up this point that you... The idea behind push notifications to be send those notifications when it makes sense for the purpose of your app functionally, not just to inflate your engagement numbers, like whenever you pull up your phone and see this uh, notification there on LinkedIn, it doesn't mean that somebody sent you a message. It may be just to somebody check your company page. There was some views, but this is just the, the way to lure you in into the app. There's nothing specific and urgent for you. Um, just a quick example, you, you may get a bunch of those notifications from, for apps, from apps who are uh, not, all, not really in the business just you know, delivering more value for you. They, they just need to inflate their numbers of app engagement to you know, report to their uh, stakeholders and uh, you know, quarter meetings to show that the numbers for attention are going up. But in reality, that's not the case. People just reacting and push notifications without real engagement. That's just uh, superficial. So yeah, thank you for <laughs> making it really clear and uh, being on the right side of this equation. Now, let's imagine you see good solid numbers for app retention and you're happy about it. You're really happy about it. So everything is good. Can you think about, are there any preventive measures to, to keep things this way further on? and not all of a sudden awake to the app's retention drop problem. Like what you should do if everything is okay, but you know that the things may go wrong and your retention may go down. Anything like a preventive measure to suggest? I think that's a super interesting question. And I personally don't really like to think of as there's an end to retention rate optimization because the end would be at 100%. And I don't know any app who really like made it there. So I do believe that there's always a way to further grow and to further increase retention rates. But I also do think that we all need to be like really monitoring the data closely because this is also one thing that we experienced recently. We were optimizing on our week one retention and we saw by driving install to activity rate week one retention was just going up. And at some point we entered a stage where our increase was not that steep anymore, but the curve kind of like started to flatten. And we were like, okay, so now we can still continue to invest into this, 
but we won't be having those massive growth numbers that we actually want to have. So it's time for us to move on to the next thing. And this is where we had uh, great support of our data scientists who then helped us by creating a retention model based on machine learning so that we can actually focus on the next step in terms of retention optimization. So while we were satisfied with our week one retention, and we still are, we are now optimizing on something a bit more long-term. And we're also moving away from just focusing on the first week of the, the, the user journey, and we're extending it to the second week. And in those two weeks, we're actually looking into what actions does the user need to take in this very early stage of his journey, and then we'll optimize for that to ensure that they're sticking with us on the long term. And another thing that I recently read up on, and I have to admit, I really like this article. It's about the adjacent user theory. Not sure if you've heard about it already. And it's basically speaking about that you always have this like kind of perfect funnel within your app and this perfect user flow, which you want every to go through. But not every user will make it there. And even though like you're happy with your retention rates because you're happy with the amount of people who are making it through that funnel, if you really start to analyze like, okay, there's still X percent of our users who are dropping out at this stage or dropping out at that stage, and you start to ask them, what's the problem? And then really start fixing those problems, you will actually avoid of ever dropping probably in your retention rate because you constantly know what their struggles are. And you will always continue to fix them. So I do believe that there's a certain way of like when retention rates are flattening out and are not growing so steep anymore. But if you continue to fix the user's main issues within the app, they don't have a reason to leave you. You know, your, your attitude to, uh, towards app retention reminds me a quote I read in, I guess it was Ken Siegel's book about Apple. Uh, he was quoting some somebody from their engineering team that, a real engineer never stops developing a product. It can only be stopped by somebody saying that that's enough. We're going to be shipping it this way. <laughs> Stop improving it. So yeah, real engineer, real creator <laughs> never stops perfecting, it, perfecting its product, his or her product. Okay, so at this point, we're, we've reached the part of the show where I'm asking a few quick questions to the guests. And these are these questions. Are you iOS or Android person? iOS, totally. That's terrific. I, I, I yet to hear somebody saying me, Nokia, Windows Phone, uh, <laughs> something else outside of Android. iOS, actually, iOS stack is way bigger than Android so far. Do you remember your first mobile phone? Yes, I do. And now you're going to hear the answer that you wanted to hear before, Nokia. <laughs> It was the Nokia 3310. I'm not sure if anybody still knows it. Um, it had Snake, the game on it. Like It was super cool back then. An undestroyable phone, um, no internet connection, nothing. But you could actually text your friends and call your parents to pick you up as a kid when you didn't have a driving license. So, yeah, that was my first phone. That's, that's cool. And no way uh, you should charge that thing you know, once a day. <laughs> I, I hardly remember how I think it took like a five, seven days or at least a few, a few days for sure for a better charge to uh, uh, hold up, I guess, like a week. Anyway, yeah, really. what, what is your favorite app now? Adidas training. What else? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What new app technologies are you most excited about? Is there anything you're waiting for to actually land into your apps on your phone in terms of you know new tech that will make 
those apps more relevant, more helpful for you? I think for us in the health and fitness industry, one trend is the recognition of movement. And I think this is going to be a pretty big thing for, for our industry in general. I personally, I'm also a big fan of voice recognition software and the way it's developing. Like, I think it's getting way better, like really with every iteration. And most probably my Google Home Mini is currently listening in. So. Yeah, definitely. I feel like Siri becomes a part of my family. The, the, like the, the better her voice becomes, it, it feels like a natural uh, extension of my immediate family. Uh, all right. So that that was actually my last question. But before I let you go, how can people know more about what you do? I was thinking about that and like what are actually my, my favorite resources and what I constantly read up on. And I recently read a book. It's called Good to Great, and I can totally recommend it to anyone. It's not really like that much about product marketing in specific, but I just think it's a really great book, and I would totally recommend it. And one of my favorite um, resources when it comes to like blogs and what I'm reading up on is Reforge. I think they're having a great blog. They're posting a lot about retention and related topics. So um, that's definitely one of my favorites there. And I can also totally recommend to subscribe to Brian Balfour's newsletter. He's not sending it out like that often. So it never feels like spammy or anything. And it has really, really good content in it. So a lot about growth in general, retention, product topics. So um, super interesting for, for everyone in that area. And I also joined earlier this year PMA. It's called Product Marketing Alliance. They have a Slack group um, where you can just like sign up for it. And um, there are a lot of fellow product marketers there and other people just interested in, in topics all around product marketing and like user acquisition, CRM, product design, user research, everything that comes along with. So um, that's also definitely something that I can highly recommend. Awesome. But what if people want to get in touch with you personally? Feel free to like look me up on, on LinkedIn. Usually like my surname is pretty um, unique out there. So <laughs> feel free to connect. I'm more than happy to receive like questions, messages, just connecting to people all around the globe. More than happy if I'm hearing from people on LinkedIn. Thanks a lot for your time and coming on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you, Anya. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Anya Obermiller, Head of Product Marketing, Printastic. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Once you subscribe, you'll be able to get new episodes in your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will also be available on businessofapps.com. See you next week. Bye. This is the Business of Apps podcast, bringing you actionable insights from the leaders of the global app industry and the world's fastest growing apps. You can find more app news, data and analysis over at businessofapps.com. Thank you for listening to the Business of Apps podcast. For more, head on over to businessofapps.com.